0: he's a deputy sheriff part of a swat team during a swat call out with a dangerous suspect he was shot and paralyzed and the shot came from a very unlikely source he's here to tell his story welcome to the law enforcement today radio show i'm your host my name's john j wiley in addition to being a radio broadcaster i'm a retired police sergeant For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com, and while you're there, Download our free app. Have I got a deal for you? No, I'm not trying to sell you a bridge or a swamp land. Enter contests for your chance to win great prizes by subscribing to the Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign up area. That's letradioshow.com. Calling us from Kentucky, we have... Jamie Morales on the phone. Jamie is a Scott County deputy sheriff, and I know you're kind of in limbo. You got some litigation going on, Jamie. So I'm going to say you're you're still a sheriff's deputy,
1: correct? Uh, yes. Well, the title itself is special deputy.
0: Okay. And, and for those who don't know Jamie's story, as a law enforcement officer, he was shot, and he was paralyzed. Still paralyzed. A result but the shooting came from an unlikely source. Before we get into your story, I gotta tell people, I've been retired from police work a long time. I still have nightmares about shooting a cop by accident or the gun not working right, albeit it's not often, but that was the case with you. You got shot, and I hate the term friendly fire, but you got shot by someone else in law enforcement. Am I correct?
1: Yes, sir, one of my SWAT team
0: members. And there's no no nice way of saying this. Nobody wants that ever to happen. It does happen. It happens more often than it should. It should never happen, but it does. And there's lots of reasons why, which we're not going to get into. I'll say this, Jamie, I remember being a rookie cop going upstairs of like a garden-style apartment building, and I think we're going to do a raid, and there's a bunch of police in front of me, and I had my old service weapon out, and inadvertently I had it pointed at the back of the old timer in front of me. I got dressed down and chewed out so badly. You see it in TV all the time. You see it in movies all the time. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of these things stem from. You should never, ever, 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 ever have your handgun or rifle point at someone else, unless you intend to use it. And you never want to point it at someone in your own team. Correct. And that's, that's the deal with you. And uh, let's talk about your career. Before you were shot, how long were you on the job?
1: Well, before I was shot, I was on the Sheriff's Department for three years, and before that, I served in the Marine Corps.
0: Well, thank you for your service, and both very much appreciated. Uh, so three years, that's kind of getting on the borderline and where you're getting out of the rookie stage and you really become start becoming good at what you do. Uh, and I know that's a generalization for a lot of people. Uh, five years seems to be the, the area where a lot of police get really, really good at what they do. And I say the term police, that refers to deputies, federal agents as well. Your three-year career, like most, you probably started off in patrol, right? Yes. How long did you do that?
1: Well... The sheriff's office, the way we operate here is we're a full service sheriff's office. So we do everything from working our own cases to just working traffic stops. Gotcha.
0: And then you some you got promoted or became member of, we use the term SWAT, because that's a term that a lot of people recognize from television. Uh, my department called it QRT, Quick Response Team. Your department, it was called something different, correct?
1: Yes, it was SRT, Special Response Team.
0: And there's something different about the way your department did this. Was it a, a task force or was it involving just your agency or another agency?
1: So the way it worked is we had a joint team between the city of Georgetown and the actual Scott County Sheriff's Office.
0: All right. How long did it take you to become a member of SRT?
1: So I applied, I think, from beginning to end. It took me maybe... A year total.
0: And you got on there kind of young. uh, But that's a young man's, uh, I'll rephrase that, that's a young person's position. We used to call our QRT people the Hut Hut guys. They were always running. They were always working out on company time, which never could do. They were always in shape, and they had to be ready all the time. They also had other police jobs they had to do, so they got called from where they were in patrol or whatever job they were doing to respond to these scenes. Is that the same for you?
1: Yes. That's actually what happened that night.
0: So you were a, a hot, hot, squared-away kind of guy? Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm not saying that as <laughs> an insult, believe me. I, I mean it with the highest compliments. And you're still working your job, and you got called out. What was the call for?
1: Initially, it came out as SWAT members or SRT members uh, meet behind the in Georgetown. Uh, That's all it said at the beginning.
0: And what was it for?
1: Well, once we arrived at the Cracker Barrel, we got a very poor debriefing of uh, what was about to happen. It's a serial bank robber. Gotcha. And yeah, he he came from Florida and had robbed like six or seven banks already.
0: And they had him spotted somewhere they're going to go after him?
1: Correct. So they had a uh, a marshal, a state marshal, pinging his phone, and he just happened to uh, stop at the 127 rest area here in Scott County. So the marshal called into our dispatch and requested an SRT team to uh, assist apprehend the subject.
0: Well, that makes sense. They called you guys because with serial bank robbers they're almost always armed they're almost always violent and we've had many cases throughout history Miami, the FBI big shootout where officers were killed involving bank robbers you had the North Hollywood California bank robbery shootout where where before the days of patrol rifles and all that stuff and, and the MRAP vehicles and that was a horrific scene so it's a logical assumption that if this is a suspect in Serial armed bank robberies. They're going to be armed and chances are they're violent Yes, they're no jokes. There's someone you you don't want to play with and you guys And I use the term guys and and people will get offended by this When I use the term guys referring to police work, that means men and women. So it was squad It was the guys. it, It didn't matter We didn't get into gender and we really didn't care about any of the other stuff contrary to what you might believe so you guys get called out there and you're preparing to go after a armed violent serial bank robber wanted for multiple bank robberies out of Florida and this is in Kentucky and he's at a west stop in a vehicle.
1: Correct. At the moment we didn't have all of that information though.
0: Right, yeah. I, I get that you're going from US Marshals office, probably Georgetown police to the county sheriff's department and if it's like it was for us communication was horrible
1: oh yes
0: (laughs) so you get all all suited up all ready to go and you prepare for the worst of the worst and that includes the heavy duty exterior soft body armor am i correct
1: so usually yes usually we have a debrief and then we're told uh you know, here's the gear you need. Just like in the Marine Corps, before we go out on any operation, you have a very detailed debrief of, you know, what you're going to need for that specific operation. Go we're
0: we're going to take a short break. We were talking with Jamie Morales, special deputy from Scott County, Kentucky, and he was on a SWAT call out. Things got. Ugly, they got violent. He was shot. He's paralyzed, and he was shot from a very unlikely source. This is a law enforcement aid show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Okay. Hey folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. As click like and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio. Radio show on Facebook. Return conversation with Jamie Rallis on the Law Enforcement Today Show, special deputy from Scott County, Kentucky. Uh, For a winter break, Jamie, we're talking about a SWAT call out where you were sent to apprehend you and your team, an armed serial bank robber, fugitive from Florida and before we went to break you talked about suiting up getting the debrief ahead of time here's what you need here's those safety equipment you should wear the issue of the vest i want to tell you i never went on the street without soft body armor and we had the first stages of it wasn't wasn't very good it didn't protect a lot against a lot of stuff but we always wore it and given the opportunity i'd wear a heavy duty vest on the outside as often as i could you were given that opportunity or were you not given that opportunity?
1: So at the time I was on patrol, so I was wearing my level one body armor. Then once we arrived at the... I received very little orientation as to what was going on from my sergeants that were on the, on the sheriff's office side of the, the house. Later on, that's when the SWAT truck arrived. Uh, along with one of the city lieutenants and I believe maybe three city officers in the back. Uh, Once they exited the vehicle, I asked one of my sergeants in front of uh, one of the city lieutenants if I should wear my, uh, if I should uh, plate up, meaning wear my level three armor, you know, which is more effective against rifles and so on. Well, um, I asked my sergeant, who was also going on the operation, by the way, and he said, "Nah, I'm not wearing mine. So I assumed, you know, coming from the Marine Corps, following orders, I assumed that it was okay. He got in the SWAT truck without one also. Well, the lieutenant heard everything uh, that was asked, and he still did not step in and took two of us in the SWAT truck without level 3 vests. So it very well could have been him also.
0: You would think even if the suspect was only armed with a handgun, it's better to have more armor protection than not. Absolutely. You prepare for the worst-case also- scenario. Here's one of the things. You know, we train and train and train. I'm sure you did too. Not just in in mm-hmm. law enforcement career, but in in the Marine Corps. You train for as many possibilities As you can foresee, you also train for things that happened in the past because they may repeat themselves, but you can't predict every situation. I would think as a retired sergeant, if I was in that situation,
1: I'd say wear everything. Of course, not only that, but we had distraction devices in the SWAT truck, you know, flash grenades. Uh, We also had shields in the SWAT truck. Rarely a variable which were never assigned to anybody or it was never, uh, you know, planned to do a, a vehicle takedown in that manner. So, yeah, it led to uh, very unfortunate results.
0: And those results are you were shot and paralyzed. Tell us about the incident where that happened.
1: So, um, do you want to know like the actual
0: whatever you're comfortable talking about? Jamie okay it's a a very traumatic thing you went through and I'll be honest with you there's a lot of things I'm not comfortable talking about if you get to a point you can't talk about something you're under no obligation to talk about it
1: no I understand um well once we arrived there uh I can say that only three of us fired our weapons okay and one was to my left and one was to my right. Well, the bullet entered in my upper like shoulder area on my right side, and the bullet transected my my spine at the T1 level, completely shattered it, I'm a complete injury, and then traveled down to my rib, bounced, and hit my left lung. So, just based upon the trajectory of the bullet, uh, you know, you would think that the shot came from the right side, correct? That's an assumption. Yeah. That, you know, KSP, uh, they did their investigation, but they concluded that they did not know who fired the shot that wounded me because they couldn't retrieve the bullet, which shattered inside of me.
0: Right. So without ballistics, they wouldn't have concrete evidence of which, which weapon fired the round. Correct. But you knew where you were shot from.
1: Yes. Once I fell to the ground, I knew for a fact that it had been a team member that shot me because I had already neutralized the subject.
0: So not only did you have the trauma of having to shoot the suspect you were also shot yourself and in the haze of everything going on you knew immediately where it came from
1: yes when i was extubated in the uh, icu my first words were to tell the sheriff what happened that it had been a friendly shooting
0: i gotta tell you this is such a horrible story because without affixing blame which i I'm, i'm not going to do you were left with severe injuries, and yeah. the person that fired this round—I can guarantee—they never wanted
1: to do that ever in their life. I would hope not. I don't. I don't think anybody would think that way. Yeah,
0: you—you you were a cop. You understand. It's like there's there's very Absolutely. few things that, and people think that we fire guns willy nilly, and, and the truth is we don't. We're very aware of risk to other people, risk to innocent bystanders, risk to other officers, crossfires, all those things. But in in the heat of battle, things can go wrong. One of the biggest, and I said this earlier, one of the biggest nightmares and fears that I have, and I still have nightmares about, and I've been retired almost 30 years now, is shooting another cop by accident. Right. Or
1: a, that's a, where another person. The, that's where the trust in your... You know, leadership comes in. That's yeah. what gets rid of that fog of war. If you have good leadership, they are able to command, you know, take command of your squad and make them do what they what you want them to do. That's the leadership.
0: When war. you were shot, Jamie, it wasn't with a, a handgun, was it?
1: No, it was a rifle. The suspect had a handgun.
0: So you were shot with a heavy-duty and I'm not a ballistics guy. I'm not a gun guy. A two two three rounds. So that's a no joke round. It's a high velocity round that does maximum damage.
1: Correct. It actually uh, went through my soft vest armor. Uh, it penetrated it completely, and then it it actually went into my back.
0: And if you had been wearing uh, a level three vest, chances are you'd had injuries, but you would have been, not been paralyzed. Correct. Yeah. I uh, could have, should have, would have. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I uh, think about that every day.
0: Listen, brother, I don't know how you don't think about it every day. I'm sitting there thinking about it, and I'm I'm like walking on eggshells having this conversation with you because it, it's a horrible story. We're talking with Jamie Morales. He is a special deputy from Scott County, Kentucky. He was shot on a SWAT callout, paralyzed. When we return, we're going to talk more about his story, the injuries, his recovery, where he's at today, and more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Want to win great prizes in awesome contests? Who wouldn't want that? It's easy. Just sign up and subscribe for the Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign up area. That's letradioshow.com. return conversation with jamie morales special deputy from scott county kentucky he was part of the srt or swat team a lot of people use that terminology he was shot and paralyzed by another law enforcement officer on the swat call out for another break jamie you're talking about you knew immediately that you were shot by another law enforcement officer and you told the sheriff that as soon as you were conscious enough to talk in the hospital am i correct
1: yeah, it's actually, uh, what I forgot to mention is when they extubated me, they uh, they also almost killed me. Um, the, the tube happened to be too big for my throat, and when they extubated me, they actually suffocated me, and I flatlined, and then they had to uh, bring me back. So yeah, that was a little traumatizing itself.
0: That's a lot of trauma you've been through. Yes. And I hate to use this term, Many people don't survive what you went through, and many people die, and many law enforcement officers die from these type of injuries, and the treatment, the medical treatment afterwards, many people die as a result of that, and I'm not saying that in a negative, I'm just saying that's what happens, because nothing is routine. So you're a miracle that you can actually talk about this, and you're alive to enjoy the day as best you can.
1: Yes, sir, I, as best I can, you said it yourself, I... Put up with constant nerve pain. I've had it for the past three years. Uncontrollable. We uh, maxed out all of the medications that we can at the moment. I even went through the length of uh, getting a uh, spinal cord stimulator implanted in my neck. So I ran the risk of losing movement in my arms also, but I just couldn't take the pain anymore.
0: You have... Limited use of your arms?
1: So initially I did. Initially, my diagnosis was quadriplegic. Uh, As I went through physical therapy, uh, my arms, uh, my hands and arms started coming back. So now I'm only uh, a paraplegic, very high paraplegic.
0: You say only like it's uh, minimizing. I know that's not what your intent is because your injuries are devastating. They're severe.
1: Yes. Very much so.
0: And I assume you're confined to a wheelchair then?
1: Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, I have no movement or feeling below my chest line.
0: How old are you?
1: I'm 31.
0: This is not what's supposed to happen. This is not something that we ever think of. And, you know, we know the risks that come with the job. We know that there's... uh, the inherent danger, you could be severely injured, you can be killed. We realize that. But somehow or another, at least I managed to always put that to the back of my brain. Otherwise, we'd never leave the patrol car. We'd never, we'd never leave the station house. We'd never think yeah. it would happen to us. It always happened to somebody else.
1: Correct. And I think part of that is we want to put ourselves in between harm's way and those we love. And it's just a natural thing to do for those that are protectors.
0: It's kind of a calling. It's kind of a vocation for a lot of people. And by the way, there are some people who come on a job for the benefits and everything else, not for the pay, because it's not a lot of money. And then they either fall in love with it and get the bug, the vocation, so to speak, or they become house cats or they leave. Right. So you went into this knowing full well this is what you want to do. This is your vocation, this is your calling.
1: Absolutely. Uh, not only being able to use, you know, some of the skills that I learned in the Marines. Uh, so that played into me going to law enforcement Right.
0: And how old were you when this occurred?
1: I was 28.
0: Were you a married man at the time? Were you single? I was. I had a girlfriend at the time. Okay. So she had to be confronted with the trauma of you being severely injured as well. Correct. Yes, how, how bad were your injuries? What was the medical diagnosis?
1: Initially, like I said, I was a, a quadriplegic, uh, diagnosed quadriplegic, and uh, very limited thoracic contraction, I guess, power, you could say, because of my injury being so high. Uh, I can't cough, like cough loud if I were to get... a. Uh, uh, sick. Uh, you may notice that I run out of breath sometimes. Uh, that's because of that. And during my recovery at the ICU, it was terrible because I had a lung that had collapsed, and I it was full of blood. And somehow I had to get this blood and stuff out of me. So I literally had to have somebody push on my belly. As I cuffed just to get everything out. It was really, really terrible.
0: And how long was your total hospitalization and recovery?
1: So ICU, I believe I was there for two weeks. Then I went to I think the next unit after that for about another two weeks, and then I was sent directly to Louisville Fraser Rehab. Um, and i was there for about a month and then finally i was able to come home
0: but your whole world's changed in between that between that that call going behind the 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 restaurant preparing for the swat call out you think this is another routine situation obviously not routine but It's not unusual for police to have to do these sort of things, and next thing you know, you're in a fight for your life, and then you're confined
1: to a wheelchair. Yes, and I didn't even have a a say-so in it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no. One of the things I want to get at here, and I wish I could find a way to get people to understand the level of commitment it takes to do this, and to put the risk out of your mind and do your job anyway. And I don't have the words to describe. And one of the things, truth be told, it annoys me to no end when people who aren't in law enforcement ask me questions about certain situations, and it's just question after question, and I wind up not wanting to tell them. I don't want to talk about it, but if we don't tell our stories, Jamie, they'll never know. Absolutely, yes, I agree with you 100%. So you're, all these months of recuperation afterwards, you go home, you're in a wheelchair, you start off as a quadriplegic, you wind up getting some limited use of your arms. He said you had a girlfriend at the time. Did this negatively impact your relationship?
1: Yes, she, uh, we ended up breaking up maybe half a year after that.
0: That's an unfortunate thing that happens quite often too. And And it's so easy to blame the other person. The truth is they didn't sign up for this. They didn't. They didn't sign up to be a nursemaid. They didn't sign up to be a caregiver. And quite often, it's more than people could handle.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I understand that it was a lot. I was relearning my life. Not only that, but when I came home, I came home to an apartment that I didn't know. I had to get rid of my townhome because it was two-story. So I came home to an apartment that was rented by my parents for me just so I would have somewhere to go. Once I arrived, it was a very small two-bedroom apartment and it was claustrophobic to say the least and extremely hard to just relearn how to just go from the chair to the toilet. Not to mention there were tubs in the apartment. There were no rolling showers, you know, that are accessible for me.
0: Things that, so I to- that able-bodied people would never think about. We're talking with Jamie Rallis, a special deputy of Scott County, Kentucky, shot, paralyzed, shot by, and I'm doing air quotes, friendly fire by another law enforcement officer, we're gonna take a short break. We return. We're gonna talk about his recovery, where he's at today, and so much more. Ever find yourself in a situation where you can't listen to the whole Law Enforcement Today show? Never fear. Past episodes are available online as a podcast, and you can listen for free. That's right. The Law Enforcement Today podcast is free. Do a Google search for Law Enforcement Today podcast, or simply go to letradioshow.com and click the Be Heard tab. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. <laughs> want to be a guest on the law enforcement today show just go to our website and contact me through there our website is letradioshow.com that's l e t Return show.com return conversation with Jamie Morales on the law enforcement today show Jamie is a special deputy for Scott County Kentucky he was shot Paralyzed, He's confined to a wheelchair. And that'll happen when he was a very young man. He's still a very young man now. And I appreciate you, Jamie, telling your story. Because quite honestly, and people ask me all the time, how do you have these conversations? Such horrible things. I said, because these people are sources of inspiration. They can go through what they go through. I can take something from their stories and apply it to my life which by the way, can seem very, very troublesome at times, but it's trivial. For example, we went to break, we're talking about having accommodations in your house for able-bodied person. When I got hurt, in my injury, I thought I sprained my wrist, I wound up having multiple surgeries, couple steel plates, I've limited use of my right hand, no use of my right wrist, and I'm right-handed. I had to learn to do a lot of things differently. There's certain things I still can't do, but it pales in comparison, and I hate to use that phrase because it's not good. It's not fair to me or you to compare, but you come home to a different place and you don't have the accommodations you need because you're in a wheelchair.
1: Absolutely. I mean, even just, I had a Harley before my accident and just coming home and seeing it sitting there And me not being able to take it for a ride, you know, just very small things like that, that people don't think about just feeling, you know, the carpet between your toes, feeling sand between your toes, that just the little things that you miss.
0: Those are some heavy duty blows to your, your, your mindset, your mental status.
1: Absolutely.
0: Look, I've rode motorcycles for years and years and years. I sold my last one a few years ago because I'm getting older, and I've been thinking about getting another one. Uh, But I'm not quite ready for the trike yet. There's something about the trike that just makes me feel like an old geezer, and I'm not ready to volunteer for that. (laughs) But there are people who have specially made motorcycles or accommodated motorcycles that have paralysis so they can ride because i got to tell you, that's another thing. I can't explain to people something about riding a motorcycle riding my Harley was as close to flying as I could imagine
1: yes it's a completely different feeling it's so freeing relaxing not to mention if you have a cruiser you just cruise and just enjoy the nice weather
0: yeah and it also clears my mind it becomes meditative it's a way of getting rid of all the stress and the baggage and the garbage and just not thinking
1: Speaking of meditation, uh, I'm a very avid workout kind of guy, and before my accident, I used to love to run. I ran in marathons. I did uh, a Spartan race. I did uh, a full Tough Mudder race, which is 10 miles and 21 obstacles. I was very physical, and for this to happen to me was a humongous blow. To just the way I lived.
0: All that's gone. Yes, sir. Have you found a way of replacing that? Have you found something else to do that gets get some of that energy spent?
1: So I still have some things I can do. So I still go to the range and practice shooting. Uh, I love cars and fast cars, but sadly, I totaled my Mustang like a month ago. So that was bad. Yeah. But yeah,
0: I I can see you replacing your car. I can see you get maybe getting the the special accommodations for the motorcycle. And already, to be honest with you, Jamie, you're an inspiring guy because it'd be so easy to just say, That's it, I'm done, and give up. Yes, sir. Especially when not just the physical injuries, which are severe, but your relationship is gone your housing situations change your whole recreation what you did part of your identity afterwards is all gone and has to be refocused or reimagined and i hate that word that's a big hill to climb
1: yes i mean one of the biggest blows too is when you know things first happen and the cameras are on and everything everybody wants to help everybody wants to be there Everybody wants you to hang out with them. But three years later, there's nothing but silence. I have the hard time people to ask somebody to come mow the yard for me. Uh, Just very small things like that have now become hard for me to get people to do brother,
0: I can't ask anybody to do anything. I, I, well, I don't have the needs you have, but there's something, some psychological block. Maybe it's a cop. of me. it's like, we're supposed to help other people. It's not that well, other way around. I don't even want to ask.
1: Right, exactly. I, I never ask anything. So my grass was like 14 inches tall until one of my friends came over and mowed it for me. <laughs>
0: One of the things you said, and this is not uncommon, this is survivors of of law enforcement officers who killed on line of duty, those who died by suicide. They say that immediately, you know, they're surrounded by people, they have lots of help, everybody's there, and then gradually over the next few months, after the funeral, whatever it might be, everybody kind of disappears. And and I'll be honest with you, Jamie, I'm a bit of a coward. I'm always afraid that I'm going to say the wrong thing so quite often what I do is I won't talk to these people at all. guy like you I would just say uh, I wonder how Jamie's doing and not pick up the phone and call because I'm afraid I'm going to disturb your peace of mind and someone said to me you can't make it worse. The worst has already happened. Just call. Let's talk about football. Let's talk about something else.
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's good to just keep your mind off the trauma so try to stay busy and stuff like that
0: well now you're in scott county kentucky and you need help and right now somebody listening is saying i can help i can mow grass i can do basic yard work i can do this i can do that there's also issues you need. Special accommodations. I see these commercials all the time, and I think they're a phenomenal organization. Stephen Siller's Tunnel the Towers Foundation. They are buying houses, they're buying specially equipped houses for people with needs like yours. They're paying off mortgages, all that stuff. Where are you at? Are you in need of assistance?
1: Yes, sir. Well, initially, uh, it goes back to what I was saying. Uh, Initially, I was Told I was going to be given a a small piece of land and that they were going to be, the city was going to build me a little house, you know, with assistance from the community, et cetera. Where here we are three years later and none of this has happened. Well, a very, very, very generous person uh, donated land out of his own, you know, pocket. And not only that, he's taken on the build himself. Also, of this house just because he's so upset that, you know, nothing has been done.
0: This is someone that's not related to you. This is just someone knows your story.
1: Yes, sir. This is someone that just happens to know my story.
0: Let me get this straight. They know your story. They're so upset that the city slash county, by the way, this is not unusual. They make great promises. They fully intend to do these things, and then they drop the ball and don't do it. This person's provided you land and says they're going to build a house for you and your special needs. Yes, sir. I think it's a special character to do that.
1: Oh, man. He is an angel from above. I told him that he saved me. I was, I was in a very dark place until he, uh, he came to my aid, and um, I'm so thankful.
0: Where are you all at in this building of this house?
1: So as of right now, we're about to sign the, uh, the Landover. And then once we do that, then we can start, you know, mobilizing people. We already have uh, a lot of volunteers. Uh, we have some people donating materials. Some people are donating just money. But we can and have the ability to uh, make that taxable so we can give you a receipt and all of that. So
0: if people want to help. And I know there's a lot of people that want to help. What do they do? How do they get a hold of you?
1: So there, I have a TikTok, and it's at two seventeen strong. Two seventeen is my badge number, uh, and I have a motivational TikTok on there. I talk about my injury and everything. My GoFundMe link is there. Uh, then the sheriff's office is taking actual check donations for people that want a receipt for you know tax breaks and if you want to donate actual materials or uh, time, they can also contact the sheriff's office.
0: And by the way, big companies out there, this is a perfect opportunity for you to jump on board and you can write a big check that make a huge difference in your life. Jamie, first of all, I want to thank you for your service, Marine Corps. Thank you for your service in the sheriff's department. And brother, thank you so much for telling your story on Law Enforcement Show. Very much appreciated.
1: I want to thank you for inviting me on your show. Thank you so much.
0: I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.